This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. It takes a little bit of a burden off our forwards, you know, if we can kind of help out and, you know, try and chip in whenever we can. And, you know, I think offense leads from, from us in the, in the D zone, breaking pucks out clean and getting the pucks up uh, to them where they have a chance to make plays. So, yeah, if we can continue what we've been doing, uh, they'll be in good shape. I think there's been games where we felt we could have been rewarded a little bit more in the third and we haven't been. Uh, the last game we were, uh, there was probably a little bit of that attitude of enough is enough. It was a you know a strange game because you know, a couple times now of late we've had to travel the next day and then come in and play an early game the, the next night. And so uh, I think it took us a little to get going, especially in that first period. But I, we got better as that game went on. And like I said, guys got rewarded in the third um, where... You know, I, I think we've been leaking oil a little bit, so that was definitely good for our confidence. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, I also think if you would have told me that McDavid, Dreisaitl, those guys won score, and, uh, well, one, Edmonton was scored many goals as they would score, but also the Lightning would find a way to win and, and feel pretty good about it, I'd say, yeah, I mean, that's that's a hell of an effort. And however you want to look at it, the Lightning able to get a win, over the weekend, a couple in a row, and now they get set to take on the Big Bad Bruins, which I kind of circle that one on the calendar a little bit. I don't know if anybody else does, but uh, this should be a good measuring stick, maybe for both <laughs> teams, but I think for sure for the Lightning, it's Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Greg Linelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick is our producer, getting ready for a game tonight, Monday, a little different. Usually those games, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays, you know, obviously sprinkled in between. But Mondays are always uh, a little different. Get you right into the the work week with some hockey, and it should be a pretty good matchup. And, yeah, look, the Bruins, they grab your attention pretty quickly with the start they've had. Even though Patrice Bergeron's not on the team, it's it's still the same. Munching points, as we like to say. And the Lightning have done that the last couple of games, which is good. And, uh, partner, this will be this will be a fun one. It's It's always fun when both teams are good. And uh, maybe a little extra special when the Bruins get off to the start they've gotten off to. Well, I don't want to give short shrift to the Bruins because they are the Lightning's opponent tonight in terms of time. There's no way anyone's giving them short shrift because they have blown out of the water any kind of suspicion that they wouldn't be as good as they were last year coming out of the gates, even though Bergeron retired and Krejci. Has Krejci retired officially? He's not on their team. I'm not sure if he actually is playing in Europe. I don't know again. what he's doing. Yeah, I think I think he may be done as well. But be that as it may, they are not on the team this year. They also traded Taylor Hall. They traded Nick Foligno. They brought in some some different guys. James Van Riemsdyk is on their team this year. They have some younger players that are new to the NHL who have been integrated into their into their roster and onto their roster and they just haven't missed a beat and they've done it with defense. I mean last year they did it with defense and offense. They were second in offense and first by, like, a country mile in goals against. We talked about that last year. They finished number one in the NHL, 2.12 goals against per game in the regular season. The next closest team was Carolina at 2.56. So just a hair under a half a goal worse, which is crazy to think about. But they couldn't keep the puck out of their net in that playoff series against Florida. And what happens when you give them goals in the playoffs? You're going to walk a narrow line to win, and they ended up losing in seven games. This year, 
They played 16 games. Their goals against is two, 2.00. Penalty kill over 90%, 91.5. They're not scoring as much. And I guess if you're if you're pulling out Bergeron and Krejci and you're pulling out Taylor Hall, yeah, maybe you're not going to score as much. But if you're holding the other team on average to two goals per game, you don't need to score a lot to win. And it seems that, that that's what they're doing. But the reason I mentioned short shrift, I do want to spend some time talking about the game on Saturday because this is our first show since that game. And there was a lot packed into that game. I think the kids who attended for Kids Day certainly were treated to a very memorable game, a game in which the Lightning rallied from three separate deficits, a two-goal deficit early, two separate deficits in the third period, and won. It's the first win they've had this year in a game in which they've trailed after two periods. And they did not follow the formula that we kind of thought they would need to follow in order to have success, Greg. I mentioned this to Braden Colburn, who was in for Phil, who's back tonight, by the way. Phil was in Boston as they raised the 1970 and 72 banners to the rafters. They had been up. I think they took them down. <laughs> the reason they took them down is they wanted the players on those teams to, to raise the banner. So they did that in a really nice ceremony. So Phil was a part of that. But what I said to Kobe after the game was, if you had said before the game, the Edmonton Oilers are going to get depth scoring in this game, and they did. Derek Ryan scored his first two goals of the year, and James Hamblin scored his first ever NHL goal. And the Lightning were going to give the Edmonton Oilers five power play chances. Not knowing what McDavid and Dreisaitl might have done during those five power plays, I think you and I both would say this is, this is not the formula the Lightning needed to win this game. But they won it. So how were they able to win it? Penalty kill went five for five. Zero points for Connor McDavid, zero points for Leon Dreisaitl. That's how they were able to do it. And so they gave up four, but they scored five and then a sixth into an empty netter. And I think what we can take out of that game is both teams have some work to do defensively. Now, the first period was a very poor defensive period for the Lightning. John Cooper talked about... You know, they spent the night in Chicago, and that was planned. So I don't know if they're going to make an adjustment here because the Lightning have not come out and played well in home games after they have spent the night at the end of a road trip and then flew back the next day. When they did it after the Montreal game, they started well against Chicago in a home game and then lost. This time, they didn't start well. They had a, they had a, a bad defensive first period. Coop said, yeah, we flew back on... On Friday, and we had the early start. Maybe that has something to do with it. There were so many open looks the Oilers had. Jonas Johansson was fantastic in the first period, even acknowledging that it was the worst goal that he's given up in a game this year, the Derek Ryan shorthanded goal. That wasn't even a shot. He just he had his pads closed, and then he opened them just as it was like open sesame, Greg, right? <laughs> like somebody said a command, the pads opened up, and the, and the puck slid through. But after that, I mean, he made 18 first-period saves on 20 shots and probably faced no less than 10 grade-A scoring chances. I mean, the Oilers could have scored five or six goals in the first period. But the Oilers weren't great defensively either. I mean, the Lightning had some looks. They missed the net. Stuart Skinner made some saves. They get a bounce at the end of the period on a pass from Kucherov that hits off of Ekholm and deflects 
into the net to make it 2-1. And I thought in the second period, both teams got better defensively, and that's reflected in the shots. Shots were 8-3 Edmonton in the second period. There were fewer shots. There were fewer scoring chances. Each team got one, but the Lightning gave up another goal to Ryan, so they're down 3-2 going into the third. And I thought in the third period, the Lightning showed their mettle because they had some gut punches there. They tie the game at three, and then they give up a four-on-four goal to Evan Bouchard. The Lightning had a 23-second power play pending at the tail end of that four-on-four. And how often do you see it? Like the power play begins, they're in their own zone, they take much of that time to get it into the offensive zone. The Lightning timed it really well. They had possession in their own end. I think it was Hedman, actually, and he saw that time was ticking down on the power play, and or on the four-on-four, I should say, and he timed it so that, looking at it, was Hedman. Hedman was the defenseman. He timed it so he entered the offensive zone just as the power play began. So the Lightning made the most of those 23 seconds and a great passing sequence in which Stamko scores off a seam pass from Kucherov. So now it's 4-4, and how many games this year have the Lightning given up goals on back-to-back shifts or a couple of goals in, in a short order? They did it to Edmonton, and Glendening scores to make it 5-4, and then the Oilers really poured it on in the last half of that third period. Edmonton had 15 third-period shots. 13 of them came after the Glendening goal. They hit a crossbar at one point. They, they generated scoring chances. Connor Brown had a partial breakaway. Johansson was fantastic. The Lightning had one last penalty kill with about five minutes left. They killed it beautifully. It was their best kill of the night, other than the 23-second one, because that was a short one. And then Sergachev, who had his second consecutive really strong game, scores on an empty netter from his own corner. So the Lightning did a lot of things to, to get that game into the win column. It was not pretty, as you often say, but they kind of took a couple of punches to the face and did not let that stop them from continuing to grind, continuing to battle, let's be honest, taking advantage of a team that is not the Boston Bruins defensively. And they got better. The Lightning got better defensively after the first period. I thought that that was was a very big key as well, and they got a terrific goaltending performance. They did, and they got some some contributions again from you know maybe your your bottom six. Yeah, Luke Lindenning was nice. How about uh, Cole Kepke with a play? I mean, the yep. guy played what maybe a little over seven minutes, and you know we talked about maybe his improved skating and and maybe just overall an improved player, and it was nice for him to make a little bit of an impact because that was a heck of a pass. And Glenn Denning with the finish. Those guys, it's good to be rewarded when you play on the fourth line or the third line because you're not going to get as many opportunities offensively to make an impact. And that was nice to see. You know, look, it was a game they, they played without Anthony Sorelli. So factor in that McDavid and Dreisaitl didn't score. And, and to me, that's even more remarkable when you consider Sorelli a, a guy who is known for his defensive abilities. You're able to, to do what you did uh, against the pretty... I don't want to say desperate Edmonton team, but certainly there's a little more urgency for them, Dave, to get back into this considering where they want to go and where they've been and who they have on their team. Yeah, I think there's there's some urgency. I think that's probably the best way to go about it. And, um, you know, it was good to see the star players perform. Um, look, Tanner Janot. Yep. Nice play. Yep. Nice play. I mean, that's... Great pass Mikey Mont. Yeah. I mean, an Mont. Let... <laughs> 
He's he's chippy. He's feisty. If you go to games, sometimes it's hard to take your eye off him because he's always mixing things up. He plays with an edge. Maybe he goes over the edge, but that's, I think, the way for him to be effective. But now, Dave, he's sprinkling in some offensive opportunities in production, and I think it's making him a, a pretty valuable member of this team when you start talking about the production, whether it's a bottom six or whether he's he's up there in a top six role every once in a while with the way John Cooper mixes and matches the lines. You know, you don't, you don't like being down as early as they did. I think that's something you, you want to stop, but you know, the reality is they, they were able to overcome an early two, nothing hole and, and find a way to earn two points in you know, regulation and the fact that it, it came against the Western Conference opponent, I, I understand that. But I think the Lightning partner will take wins yeah. however they can get them at this point. Western Conference, Eastern Conference, regulation's even sweeter. But I, I think that's what makes even tonight's game a little more intriguing is the, you know, the Lightning have been able to put together a couple of wins and you know, now they're gonna now they're going to test themselves against the Boston Bruins tonight. And I think that's good. So, look, I look at it this way, Greg. I want them to get to the 24-point threshold after 20 games, and, and the last two games have, have been crucial to that. I mean, they still need to win the next two to, to get there. But even if they don't, the fact that they've won the last two has put them in a better spot. They are going to be in a better spot after 20 games, even if they don't get a point out of the next two, and I certainly hope that's not the case, than where things looked two games ago. Or even how things looked, let's say, in the first period on Saturday when they were down 2 nothing, and kind of hemorrhaging chances against because they were not tight defensively at all. So all of that is really positive. And this is, if we have fans who want to have a comment or a question about Saturday's game, certainly fire away and, and we will get to that. But the last thing I'll say about Saturday before we turn our attention to tonight's game what was the difference, like broad strokes, what was the difference between the Lightning's game and Edmonton's game, essentially, or at the end of the game? What assessment can we make? So both teams got depth scoring. We talked about that. The Oilers got two goals from Derek Ryan and the first NHL goal from James Hamblin. The Lightning got a Glendening goal and a Tanner Janot goal. But while McDavid and Dreisaitl did not record a point, Nikita Kucherov had two goals. Steven Stamkos had a goal. Braden Point had two assists. So the difference in the game was essentially the Lightning's top guys produced, whereas the Oilers' top guys didn't. And going hand-in-hand hand with that, the Oilers went 0-5 for 5 in the power play and the Lightning went 2-4 for 4 in the power play. So usually if your power play is converting, you figure your top guys are, are getting involved offensively. So that, I mean, again, it wasn't only that. But if we look at kind of the the postmortem of this game, if we look at the final game sheet, how are the Lightning able to win it? Their stars outproduced Edmonton stars, and that got tied to special teams. So it wasn't only that, but that was a big part of of how they were able to win it. And I personally don't care. It came against a Western team. The Oilers are and were and will continue to be a desperate team.
because they entered the season with Stanley Cup championship aspirations, and they are right now five games under 500 just in terms of wins and regulation losses. So they need to turn the ship around yesterday, which is why they made a coaching change. We'll see how they do tonight against the Panthers, who yeah. who, who will be their next opponent. It does sound like Calvin Pickard is going to start. You know, I'm seeing all the stuff about the Oilers need to solve their goaltending problems. The Oilers need a goal. The Oilers are looking at this team for goaltending and that team for goaltending. And now they're starting Calvin Pickard, who, I mean, he's been in the NHL before, but he's been kind of a tweener. I don't know how many years it's been since he's actually been in an NHL game. They demoted Jack Campbell. You watch the game, Greg. Stuart Skinner has to own the Glendening goal. That was not a good goal. But how many of those other goals that the Lightning scored were on him? Honestly, I mean, one deflects in off Ekholm. The other is a pass from Kucherov that gets blocked, comes back to Kucherov, and he snaps it right between his pads as a quick reaction play. Nobody's stopping the Janot goal. I mean, that's a two-on-one. He drilled that into the net, and you show me a goalie who's going to stop that stamp ghost power play goal. So, all right, you're like, Skinner needed to make a save on Glenn Denning when the game was 4-4. Fine. But I don't know that I'm laying the other goals on him. And it's very easy to blame the goaltending. Now, I haven't watched Edmonton this year except for the one game that that they played in front of my two eyes, right? So maybe it has been goaltending in in some other instances and some other games. But I tell you what, like, the Oilers have problems defensively. And we've said that about the Lightning. So I'm not just pointing the finger at at the Lightning's opposition. I thought both teams have some work to do defensively in terms of how they are playing in their own zone, how they are managing the puck, how much risk is in their game. I mean, how do you give up a two-on-one? Talking about the Janot goal. You're up in the third period. It's three to two. You start the third period... The puck is in the offensive zone, and Sergachev is able to make an uncontested pass. How far was that pass? 60 feet, maybe? To a wide-open AC mount, the defenseman gets caught in the neutral zone. And now it's a two-on-one goal. I mean, that's part of team defense, too, right? How you're handling the rush. So, again, this isn't an Edmonton Oilers show, but I'm not sure that the goaltending is the top of the list problem, or if it is at the top of the list, it's sharing that distinction with some other issues that they are having. But where we tie this back to the Lightning, because the Lightning had a very, very good defensive performance against Chicago. They did. They they took away time and space. They, they really suffocated Bedard. They played against Bedard the way you need to play against a player like that. They were not able to replicate that against the Oilers. I mean, McDavid and Dreisaitl did not record a point, not because they didn't get looks. They weren't able to finish, and Johansson had had something to do with that. But the game tonight is a different sort of game because if the Lightning are not tight defensively and they fall behind against the Boston Bruins, this is going to be tough sledding to get back into the game. If they can, they need to play the Bruins even or force Boston to play from behind. Sorry, you were going to say something. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, a lot of people came into that game, and maybe we felt this way afterwards, that, you know, maybe something you could tell something was bothering Connor McDavid because of his yeah. point total up to that point. He's partner, missed a maybe, couple of games this year. He has. Yeah. That being said, I mean, 
one of the things you look at if you think a player is being or playing banged up is that they're not getting chances. I thought McDavid actually had some looks. Now, if you think he's injured, is that injury potentially robbing him of either another gear or or finishing? Maybe. I, I think that's more of a a guess on my part because we just we don't know. But it wasn't like Dreisaitl and McDavid didn't have looks. Would you agree? Especially on those power plays. So okay, yeah, the one was really dangerous. The one was twenty three seconds. You want to wipe right. that out, even though the Lightning did score on their twenty three second power play that came at the end of that. But look at the other four. Now the first one was extremely dangerous. At that point, the game was two nothing, and the Lightning were very fortunate right. that it was not three nothing. But they had four full power plays on which to score a goal. And, you know, they had their looks. They definitely had their looks. Those top guys played a lot on the power play. I'm looking at the ice time. McDavid, power play time, 6.06. Dreisaitl, power play time, 6.03. Newton Hopkins, power play time, 5.57. Hyman, who's a good net front guy, 5.59 on the power play. And Bouchard, their one defenseman, on that top unit, played six minutes and 13 seconds of power play time. You give Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl six minutes of power play time, you are inviting trouble. And the Lightning were able to navigate through that. I think you're right. It's not like they were just passing it around the perimeter. I mean, they had they had some good setups there I and some they dangerous chances. Yeah. I mean, look, it, I, I don't know what to say about Edmonton. I think... It's a little bit like Toronto. You've heard me talk about this, partner. When you have a team that's really good defensively, they get to the postseason and maybe they struggle scoring. That I, You've heard me say that there are deficiencies there. I don't know if you can just flat out win a cup that way. Like You're, you're going to need to score. You're going to need to find some game breakers. That being said, if you had to give me the choice between a team that was really offensively gifted but had some deficiencies in net or just their defensive structure compared to, let's say, a, a Barry Trotz team that's really good defensively, or maybe the team we're going to see tonight in Boston. I'm going to go with a team that can defend. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because you have said in the playoffs, teams that defend I, do need game breakers. They they do, but I, I, I think teams like... See, when I look at Edmonton and people get excited about them winning a cup, even Toronto to a lesser extent, I think until they get either the defensive system in place a little bit to complement all those star players or a legitimate number one elite goaltender, I think that's a pipe dream. Now, you may say both are pipe dreams, and I'll I'll probably meet you there halfway and say, you know what, you can make an argument, yes. But I think the team that probably defends well has a better chance of moving on. I mean, I think there's there's been some history that has shown that over the years where a team that's that struggles to score, if you can defend and have really good goaltending, you go a little further than just a team who can flat out score, but maybe lacks in those other two areas. I think Edmonton, I don't want to throw Toronto in this because I I think, you know, we saw what they did last year. I think when they had to, they defended, but I still think there are question marks for those teams. I think it's a pipe dream a little bit for Edmonton. Uh, if you don't have the defensive structure in place, if you don't have a goaltender who can 
who can steal you some games, and maybe those two come together, I don't care if you have McDavid or Drysaddle up and down that roster and they're scoring 140 points in a, a year. And that, that's not going to matter. You, because I, I think the being good defensively, a lot of that is just muscle memory too. It's being ingrained in you by the coaching staff from day one. This is where you need to be. This is where you're going with the puck. And I understand there's a give and take, and not every team is going to abide by those because you may have a team that's a little more skilled. The coaching staff is going to allow them to do things that maybe they wouldn't uh, with a roster that's full of uh, a lot of players who aren't considered stars. But I think it'll be interesting to see Edmonton with the coaching change, Dave. Are they improved defensively by the end of the year? And is that something that probably needs to be implemented at the beginning of the year? Because it's more its more than just saying, hey, you got to back check hard. You got to be here. You got to be there. You've got to implement that system defensively to the point where everybody knows where they need to be and you're not thinking about it. And I wonder if that's hard to do with a team that isn't great defensively to begin with in the middle of the year. Well, it's the same team that got to the semifinals two years ago. It's the same team that did very, very well in the regular season, basically the same team, last year. Now, they did apparently try and tweak their defensive system, but I don't know that that can explain 5-10-1 or whatever they are, you know, to this point this year. So... They're going to have some stuff to figure out. The Lightning have one more game against them in Edmonton. That's on their Western Canadian trip in less than a month, actually. They, they go through the middle of December on what's going to be their longest trip of the year. And, and, you know, we'll see if the Oilers kind of have figured some things out. The Lightning are trying to figure some things out defensively as right. well. And if we tie it back to the Bruins, I mean, I, I stand by what I said a few minutes ago which is this is a game if you fall behind 2 nothing in the first period of the Boston Bruins, there is, there is a much narrower path to getting back in the game against the Bruins than against the Oilers. That's kind of stating the obvious. But I think, and kind of like I felt about the St. Louis game, because we, we said the same last week when the Lightning were playing the Blues, when you face a team that can defend you need to match or at least come close to matching their defensive output, if that's the right way of putting it. In other words, no freebies. Make them earn everything that they are going to get. And you need to do that because they are not going to give you any freebies. You cannot count on any freebies from the Boston Bruins. You cannot count on two-on-ones. You cannot count on... You know, them taking a lot of penalties and you converting on the power play. They're at 91.5% on the penalty kill. You cannot count on open looks in the middle of the ice. So if that's the case, you're going to have to grind to score, and it's going to become even harder if you give them the lead. So I think the first key to success tonight for the Lightning is putting forth one of their best, if not their very best defensive effort of the year. And and that doesn't mean only playing without the puck. That's also playing with the puck. No turnovers leading to easy chances coming back the other way. It's hard to do. 
and a credit to the Bruins and a credit to Jim Montgomery for for doing it this consistently for well over a year now. Guy can coach. Guy can coach. <laughs> and All look, right. you know, be, people often say, you know, okay, regular season's regular season. Show me what you got in the playoffs. They didn't show it in the playoffs last year. They they blew a 3-1 lead in that series. They lost the last three games. They had a lead in game six. They blew it. They had, in the third period, they had a lead in game seven. They gave up a sixth attacker goal and then lost in overtime. In game five, I can't, that was, I think, 2-2. I can't remember if they had a lead in that game, but let's not forget, Marchand had the series on his stick, a breakaway with like a second to go. Incredibly. And Bobrovsky made the save. If he doesn't stop that, the Bruins win the series. But they didn't defend as well as they had during the regular season in those three games, certainly, and they didn't make enough plays. They let the other team be the team to make the plays, which was very un-Bruins-like. But that was a three-game stretch. Outside of that three-game stretch, for the last year plus, they have played virtually flawless hockey. Which, you might say, it's the regular season. (laughs) That doesn't matter as much. They would agree with you, but it's still quite a feat. That is quite an accomplishment. For them to be at the level that they reached last year and just maintain it. And look, I I will say this too, and and this is me. I, I don't know if I have any evidence. It's more of the eye test. I will say this. If you're a team that is very well coached, particularly defensively partner, I think it is easier to have a successful regular season than once you get into the playoffs. And you might say, well, wait a minute, doesn't defense win championships? It does. Mm -hmm. But you also need offense to win those games. But I think an 82-game schedule, you're playing a different opponent night in and night out. Not everybody wants to go hard every single game. I mean, but if you've got the defensive intensity and the structure every night defensively, I think more times than not in a situation during the regular season, your chances of winning are greatly enhanced. Because it's... You don't have your best every night. But if you're getting a team that defends hard, mm-hmm. that's it's a little bit different mindset than if you're in a seven-game series because you've got to figure in that scenario the other team is going to D up as well. The intensity is yeah. there. And the regular season is not always there. We've seen – so the, the other example of a team kind of like this, not at the level the Bruins have been out, were those Islander teams under Barry Trotz, but they were kind of the opposite because they got better in the playoffs. They were not – a dominant regular season team because at least when they were doing it, it was kind of before offenses exploded, which they have over the last couple of years. But it was it was kind of like, so when offenses exploded, scoring just went up, right? It used to be, though, that scoring started high and then, then got less as the regular season progressed, but the Islanders didn't have a lot of firepower, so often they would kind of be in the muck after the first quarter to third of the regular season, they would defend, but they weren't able to match the firepower from some of these other teams that were scoring a lot and doing really well in the power play, let's say, and jumping out to a big lead in the standings. But once they got into the playoffs, because they could defend so well, they would have success. 
what what happened to the Islanders, at least in the two years that they went deep, they ran into the Lightning. And those Lightning teams in 2020 and in 2021 were able, and this is the point that you just made, so I'm parroting it, they were able to match what the Islanders were doing defensively. And so once that became neutralized, then you look at the talent level. Then you look at the number of game breakers. And the Lightning had more than the Islanders. So if you were going to beat, let's say, <clears throat> the Islanders of 2020 or the Islanders of 2021, two teams that in consecutive years got to the Eastern Conference Final or the semifinals, it was in the bubble, then you are going to need to defend at a level that allows you to, to basically use your advantage and skill over them to win four out of seven. And in each of those years, the teams that the Islanders played did not defend as well as they did. And they scored enough to advance. But when they ran into the Lightning, they didn't, they couldn't match the firepower on Tampa Bay, nor did Tampa Bay give them any gifts. They, they matched, the Lightning matched what the Islanders could do defensively. Now, I don't know what to make of what happened to the Bruins last year, but kind of what you're saying is a team that defends well should do pretty well in the playoffs, but you may not be able to win the Stanley Cup if you face a team that can match what you're doing defensively and has other weapons in its arsenal, right? Yes. Heck yeah. 100%. And maybe the Bruins are going to have to answer that question. Now, they have Pasternak, who is extremely elite. I mean, he had over 60 goals last year. Marchand is still a very, very talented I mean he hasn't slowed down so of course you know he is still producing McAvoy is is certainly a guy who can produce points but they don't have the same pop I think offensively as what they had last year you can just look at their roster and and that's the case but at this point that doesn't really matter and maybe it won't matter maybe it won't matter for them I think that's true and I also think by the way, Krejci did retire. I was reading. Okay, a, thank you for Mike clarifying Sussberg. that. Yeah, he uh, he had like a little catch up with Patrice Bergeron, and they were talking about was he surprised at the start this team has had, mm-hmm. and he said basically no, that Montgomery is, you know, an elite, elite coach. You know, especially when you get into the defensive aspect of things, and I think that's. That's something to kind of keep in mind, you know, as we we push forward here. But it was it was interesting um, how he was explaining it to him. But it offensively is where you're going to ask the question: Do they have enough to complement that back end? Because you know, I and I don't know if goaltending still a question mark in the postseason for them. Isn't yeah. it weird how we kind of break it all down? Like in the in the regular season, you know, they buttoned up, they're fine, no issues there. You kind of get to the postseason, that save percentage is inflated, and maybe you're not playing as well defensively. It's just a different animal. I, I don't know, partner, if there's another sport that is different and maybe drastically different than the NHL regular season and postseason. Yeah. It really is because you get teams who, what do you have? They're a regular season team. They're going to get to the playoffs every year. 
do they have what it takes to win it? Because once you get into that postseason mindset, it's a seven-game series. The other team, if they're offensively gifted, they're probably bearing down defensively as well. You know, it's just, it's a different animal. It's a different animal. And, you know, Boston, I think to their credit over the years, they've got a ton of playoff experience, at least with the the high-end guys there. It's just a matter of, I think this year, okay, no Bergeron, no Krejci. Do you have enough offensively heading into the postseason? And what's that goaltending going to look like? Yeah, and they don't really have to answer the, those questions, and they 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 won't be able to answer those questions until the playoffs begin. Interestingly, Olmark last year, I mean, he he was their guy in the playoffs. I mean, he did not have a great series. He didn't. But Swayman, I believe, only got into one game in yeah. that series, even though they, they kind of split. So Swayman, I, if I'm remembering right, last year, he missed some time due to injury. So Olmark ended up playing more than Swayman. But they both played regularly. Olmark, maybe because he played more, won the Vesna. Deservedly so. I mean, <laughs> I think he won 40 games on his own. And Swayman would have won the other, <clears throat> excuse me, 25, unless there was a right. third goalie in there that I'm not remembering. This year, they were doing what, again, remember the Islanders under Trotz, there were a couple of years there where Trotz just alternated the goalies every single game. It was Grice, and I think one year it was Grice and Leonard, and they played every other game, and then Leonard departed, and it was Grice and Varlamov. And they alternated, I think, up until halfway through the season, and then I want to say Varlamov played more. But to this point this year, I mean, you can look at their game by game. They are just alternating. Olmark, Swayman, Olmark, Swayman, Olmark, Swayman. It's like they're winning, and so it's working. Neither guy really appears to to be struggling this year, and if that continues, Olmark will get the start tonight because Swayman played in the last game. But if we look at their actual numbers, Greg, Swayman is having the better statistical year than Olmark. And again, everything is relative because Olmark is having a fantastic season, going 6-1-1 and at 2.23 goals against and a .928 save percentage. But Swayman's goals against is 1.73, and his save percentage is over 940. So I don't know if this alternating is going to continue through all 82 games. Maybe it will. Then they're going to have the Greg Linelli question, which is, you know, who's going to be your guy in the playoffs? If, if you have a 1A and 1B, you don't have a 1, and you've talked about that. But clearly the system has worked very well for the Bruins over the last couple of years. But whoever is in net, because it's not like Swayman has gone on some phenomenal run when he has had a chance to play in the playoffs Correct. either. So whoever is going to be the guy. When the playoffs begin, and I think we're presuming at 13-1-2 to start, they're not going to have such a collapse that they're going to miss the no. playoffs. They no. they have basically secured their spot, even though we've still got like three-quarters of the season to go, more than that. The question is going to be who's going to be in net, and will that goalie perform at the regular season level in the playoffs? Because Olmark was not able to do that last year. It's pretty fascinating to for us to make that statement because I, I would agree with you. We probably, I know more people would be leery of making that comment regarding the Lightning if we were to say, look, they're going to be in the playoffs. 
it's almost like I, you can say it for another team. But I, I'm wondering, like in Boston, are they like, oh, nothing solidified yet? We we have to we have to play the whole season out. Yeah, we just have to we have to make sure we maintain. But honestly, the way they play defense, even if they slump offensively again in the regular season, I think they'll find ways to win. By the way, just, Swayman got into he appeared in two games. So there was one where he played, and then there was one where they split because Allmark was in six of the seven. Gotcha. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you can. You want to get some tweets? Yeah. Anthony says, I watched the last two games on ESPN and SN. Let me tell you guys, they were talking like we have a bunch of beer leaguers. I'm often hard on my team, but that disrespect, oof. I know you won't criticize your colleagues, but ESPN play-by-play, try it. Can't pronounce Chernak, Kucherov, etc. Well, only one of the games was on ESPN. It was the Chicago game. Yeah. And I have a hard time believing game, Steve Levy. I have a hard time believing no, like Steve, Steve Levy did not pronounce the names right. But again, I'm not hearing that because we're doing our own broadcast. I also have a hard time believing that the way that game unfolded, they were not positive about the Lightning because the Lightning played very well in that game. Yeah. They held the Blackhawks. It was 15 shots until about... 40 hours after the game, and then they decided to take a shot away. So the Hawks ended up with 14 shots in that game for the whole game. I mean, think about that. For sure. The Lightning allowed 20 shots to Edmonton in the first period alone on Saturday. They allowed only 14 shots for the whole game against the Blackhawks. Yeah. But I can't speak from firsthand experience of hearing them because I didn't. So we'll take your word for (laughs) it. We were doing doing the game. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anthony also says, very good game to build on, or games, you should say. I like the support and tenacity in the D-zone for the most part, even though we gave up a lot of shots. Kucha's goals reflected the way he played. Well, I did not like how they defended in the first period. No. They had they had some coverage problems. And it looked like Edmonton was operating at a quicker pace than the Lightning were able to react and that's why they look so dangerous. But they improved in the second and the third. And Coop talked yeah. about why they improved on the penalty kill. He said our coaches. So I, I believe it's Zettler and Blaschel kind of oversee the penalty kill. But after that first Edmonton power play, they were like, all right, let's go back to the drawing board here and, and figure something out. And if I'm looking at the penalties, it was, well, they had two in the first period. If I'm looking at this right, Watson and Darren, they fought. And then Hedman, the Hedman penalty at 10-19 was the one in which they were very dangerous. And was that the one where it was kind of interference penalty. on McDavid, right? That was kind of That was hogwash. not a good call, right. Yeah. Kobe I wasn't, like and the one. Hagel penalty, which was the, the, the one in the third that lasted only 23 seconds, that was not a good call either. The, the Edmonton player tried to pull up and fell and they called Hagel for tripping. Be that as it may. So the Lightning had a second penalty kill in the first period. They got through. But it, it sounded like the coaches made an in-game adjustment, and it really helped. And, and it was the, the strongest kill was their final kill. And that was maybe the most important kill because they were protecting a 5-4 lead late in the third at that point. Kobe didn't like that call. I can't blame the head one on call. Hedy. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he liked the Hagel call either. No. By the way, do you think Kobe could play 10 minutes still? Yeah. Uh, I refuse to well, shake he's his in, hand. He's in 
phenomenal shape. Elite shape. But, you know, for and this is what we see, like guys who are in their mid to late 30s, early 40s, you know, they could be physically fit. But it's kind of like their reaction time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the game moves so quickly that that's where you sometimes start to see it slow down. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he'd play 20 minutes a night, but if you had to throw him out there for five minutes, you know, he, he, by the way, I can't shake his hand anymore. He He crushes my hand. I give him a pound. I've made that adjustment. Yeah. What do you think? Do you well, don't, pound, don't pound him too hard because he might pound you back, and that would definitely hurt. <laughs> you know, I told you, one of the, the great memories I have of Kobe, and he's had a few with the Lightning. Uh, you remember, was it was it the Eastern Conference Finals against Washington in 2018? He's jumping out of the penalty box to fight Tom Wilson. <laughs> yeah. He did it twice. Do you remember that? I mean, listen, to go with Tom Wilson and hold your own, which he did, I mean, that's all you need to say. Like, go back and watch it, and you can, if you want to give Wilson a slight edge, maybe. But, I I mean, he went toe-to-toe with that guy. And Wilson's a bad guy. Yep. Bad dude. Yeah. Partner. You got to you gotta have some courage to take on Tom Wilson. You do. I think we're showing, we're seeing that you got to have courage to take on Tanner Janot. Yes, you do. <laughs> I think it was in the it was the Chicago yes, game because Brian Engblom talked about this. There was a, a a younger player on Chicago who started jawing a little bit with Jano, and immediately two hawk players came in and like pulled yeah. him away. Bro, sit down. Sit and, down. And Brian was like, "Yeah, they wanted this player to understand this isn't something that you want to." Isn't it amazing that reputation though? That, yeah, that kind of that moves on. Uh, that's just a that's just a good story. Basil says, "Game of the year so far." So important that once they tied the game at two, they never let the Oilers get more than one goal ahead. Must be demoralizing to fall behind after tying the game twice. But they hung in there and kept working. Great win. Well, there were a few really big goals the Lightning scored. And I'm going to give you two. The two power play goals, actually. That Kucherov's goal at the end of the first was a really big goal. Because it was... It was a loose period. It was a loose period for both teams, but it was still a 2 nothing Edmonton game. And for the Lightning to make that a one-goal game and get out of that period only down one, even though they gave up 20 shots and, like I said, probably double-digit scoring chances and, and dangerous scoring chances, that was a very important goal. But to me, maybe the biggest goal of the game was the Stamkos power play goal. Because it it is true, you're right, Basil, to battle back, tie the game twice, and then fall behind a third time at 4-3 very easily could have been demoralizing, but they didn't let Edmonton really build on that because the Lightning cashed in on that power play, even though they only had 23 seconds to work with. But they got it tied, and and so they weren't they weren't battling uphill again for very long. And then whatever it was, 39 seconds later, they had the lead. I thought that Stamkos goal was was probably the biggest goal in the game. It it flipped the script. I would agree. It absolutely did. And uh, the Stamkos goal was just, that was fun to watch, just in general, how they move the puck so quickly. And we're used to seeing that. Lightning has scored a power play goal earlier this year. So Braden Point has had no room in the slot. And I think the penalty kill units that the Lightning are facing understand 
that where point is, is the most dangerous spot on the ice. So when the puck comes to him, generally, he has guys crawling all over him, basically. So there was a game earlier this year when he kind of moved from the middle of the ice and, and shaded closer to Kucherov. And Kucherov gave Point the puck, and Point, as the penalty killers converged on him, bumped it back to Kucherov, and Kucherov one-timed it in the net. It was a home game. I'm trying to, I can't remember which game it was, but they tried that play because it's almost like a decoy. Point's a decoy. He's drawing the penalty killers to him and then giving the puck right back to Kucherov before the penalty killers can react. So what happened in the Edmonton game, they did that play again, Kucherov to point back to Kucherov, but instead of Kucherov shooting, the seam pass opened. And he one-timed it across the stamp goes, and he had an open net. And he one-timed it in. There's no way a goaltender can stop that shot once the pass goes through. So, look, credit to the Lightning for, for kind of reading what the penalty killers are trying to do and finding a way around it. I think that that's what yeah. we're seeing when it's that Kucherov to point back to Kucherov quickly. Agreed. And he can either shoot or maybe he can try and pass it across to Stamkos like he did in that in that game on Saturday. Nick Ita Kucherov says if we play with some of that intensity from the Oilers game, I think it's possible we see the ice tilt in the Bolts' favor tonight. We need to stay out of the box as well. Oh, yeah. Can someone please get a solid hit on that rat from Boston? Well... We know who if he's, he's referring about. to Martian, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in the in the Boston area as a preteen into my teenage years. They had a player the Bruins did, Ken Linsman, who was called the Rat. I think he was the original Rat. <laughs> I don't know that that. I mean, he embraced the nickname. I'm not sure if Marchand has embraced the nickname. He probably would. He'd probably laugh about it. But you have to, right? Yeah. So, yes, the Lightning have to be physical, but they also have to be structured. So you have to find a line between taking away time and space, but also not looking for hits that might throw you out of position. Because the Bruins the Bruins play a sort of game where if you make a mistake, they will find the opening. So you really have to limit mistakes. And that's not easily done in the sport of hockey. And because they don't make many mistakes, should they make a mistake, you need to find the opening against them. And if they really don't make many mistakes, then you just have to put on your work boots. And and it becomes about winning battles. I mean, it's always about winning battles. But that's how you tilt the ice. That's how you try and put on relentless pressure. It's interesting, Greg. I mean, looking at, Looking at the game-by-game and the stats for the Bruins, if I go to their game-by-game, which is filled with a lot of Ws, in a lot of the games, shots are close, or they're actually being outshot. They've been outshot in a fair number of games this year. I'm looking at their game-by-game. Now, in the last game, they hammered Montreal. 44-22 were the shots, and they won 5-2. But, you know, I see a 32-34, a 28-27, there's a 29-37. This is shots for shots against 30 to 40. Uh 25-34, 30-36. So, look, it's not like they aren't allowing shots and and without 
watching the games, it's unclear exactly why this disparity is there. And it's not been in every game. In other games, they've outshot the opponent, sometimes decisively. But if we were to broad stroke it, we would say, like, the other team is getting possession. And and they are directing pucks to the net. The question is, are they actually getting chances? And and my, my hunch would be, not really. Like, <laughs> for the goaltenders... To, to have bailed out the Bruins repeatedly and erase scoring chances, they wouldn't have a goals against as a team of two. So I think it's a combination that they may be giving up some possession time and they may be giving up more shots than maybe they did last year, but they're keeping those shots kind of from the outside and, and the goaltenders are throwing in the high-level save here and there. But the point of, of the fan... Trying to remember who had that. Was it Jay? Oh, Nikita. Nikita had that. The Lightning may be able to to have an okay night in the metrics for possession. But what are they doing with that possession? We don't want a repeat of the St. Louis game where they had a lot of possession but didn't really do enough with it. And then when they didn't have possession, they gave up chances. That's what they need to avoid tonight. But, of course, it would be better to have possession. Like, they don't want one of these 44-22 shot games for the Bruins either. Well, I think I'm going to hold off on more tweets coming in because we can use those for tomorrow. Yeah. Big game tonight for uh, both teams, really. I think anytime you have a, a game that typically has two of the better ones, not only in the Atlantic but in the Eastern Conference, it's, it's worth – it's worth paying attention to even people who love hockey outside of these markets. So I think a lot of eyeballs on this one tonight. Can the Lightning find a way to chip away at this Bruins defense and and see if, if they can tighten things up here uh, defensively? And look, you know going against uh, Brad Marchand, not to be confused with Brad Marchand, <laughs> that he is somebody that, you know, look, is – is dangerous whenever he's on the ice, but particularly on the PK. Keep an eye on that. But how they defend is going to be interesting, and what type of goaltending do they get tonight will uh, will be pretty fun to watch. And look, partner also, too, getting a little bit closer. Andre Vasilevsky getting yes. back, hopefully. We're getting a little bit closer. We did so. get word that he's not going to play before Thanksgiving, but we'll see about the trip after Thanksgiving. Yeah. It does appear that Sorelli is going to return, and that we didn't even touch on that, but that is great news. That is great news. Because when he blocked the shot, we were kind of like, oh, we're looking at five, six weeks like with these other guys, and fortunately it was a day-to-day situation. So it looks like he's just going to miss the one game, which he missed on Saturday against Edmonton. Yep. Good stuff. And uh, I will see you tonight with Phil. Yeah, we'll we'll be be curious. We wanted to get Phil on the program today to talk about not just the one on Saturday, but he's made two trips to Boston already this year for the opener, the 100th season of the Bruins. They had a commemoration night, and then the one this past weekend for his 1970 and 1972 Stanley Cup teams. But we can can pick his brain tonight. That'll be always. Hear about the event. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good stuff. Um, All right, partner. Great job. We'll do it again tomorrow, recapping what we saw tonight. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you tonight. All right. Wonderful. And uh, thanks to Steve Versick. Thanks to you for listening. Austin Wright, our broadcast assistant. I am Greg Lanelli. We'll be with you tonight. 
with the pregame starting at 6.30, the puck dropping at 7. And then, of course, in this setting, noon to 1 tomorrow, you've been listening to Power Lunch right here on Lightning Radio.